Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. We are in the thick of the back-to-back Masters 1000s, Madrid and Rome. Uh, Of course, Madrid in the books, Carlos Alcaraz, the champion, and he becomes the first man ever to defeat Nadal and Djokovic in the same clay court tournament. And... uh, now we have both Nadal and Djokovic in the Rome draw. Alcaraz is not. So plenty to get into. What we're going to do is start with Novak Djokovic and then go to Rafael Nadal in the second half of the show. And that means beginning with how it all ended in Madrid, where Djokovic loses a third set tiebreak to Alcaraz in one of the best, best of three set matches you'll see. Probably the best, best of three of the year, uh, maybe better than Kitsmanovic and Alcaraz in Miami. Amy, what did you make of that one? I agree with you. I thought it was the best, best of three. Although my best, best of five goes to the Australian Open final that that Rafa won. But um, I thought it was a match that Djokovic, and and this is similar to Nadal's match against Alcaraz, played with more margin than he normally does, and maybe more margin than he needed to. And meaning like, you know, normally, if he can place the ball with precision and robot like efficiency, one foot inside the baseline over and over and over again, he was maybe going more like, two feet or three feet so his margins were different and I thought maybe that was because okay he's playing in Madrid with altitude and the bounce and the ball is harder to control but then in the bitter end after all the analysis I thought maybe he was doing it on purpose maybe he was trying to do sort of a reconnaissance mission and find out where he can get errors from Alcaraz and where he can't. And in the end, he doing that, playing with that margin, he really only lost the match by two points. That's very interesting. I like the recon mission because again, he's pointing towards Roland Garros and Alcaraz is a little bit more where he's pointing towards the next match. I mean, that's, he's young and he's in that phase of his career. Novak is looking towards defending his title. Um, that's really interesting. I think what I, was, what I found interesting about that match, um, we've seen Djokovic be out hit and occasionally out crafted, but you see this Alcaraz, he, he was out court covered. I mean, Alcaraz covered the court so well and was in so many places. And I think that that maybe compelled Novak to maybe do some of his probing, but also I thought, um, I thought he didn't always have enough faith in his forward movement game. Several times I saw Novak hit shots were against others. He might have occasionally engaged some opportunistic net rushing and coming in, but Alcaraz's movement, his court speed and versatility kind of uh, intimidated Novak at times throughout that match. I think it's intimidating everyone. I think he's the fastest man on tour by quite a bit right now. And uh, I've seen that with, with a couple of his opponents 
Uh, but it's funny, we do all have different kind of critiques for Djokovic. So Amy, the margin, maybe playing a bit safe. Joel, the net play. Uh, for me, it was actually the, the return. I thought he couldn't figure out how to return the kick serve on the ad side of Alcaraz. And he was getting killed on the plus one because the, the backhand returns just weren't good enough consistently to put Alcaraz in an uncomfortable position on that plus one ball. And it's very difficult for Djokovic when he's pulled out wide. If he doesn't hit a great return, well, he's not in position. He's not recovered to the middle of the court. Now, he actually made an adjustment at certain points in the match where he said, okay, I'll move back and I'll put air under the return to give me time to recover. Every time Alcaraz saw that, he went, okay, serve volley. And that was enough. Alcaraz doing that was enough to get Djokovic away from that tactic. And I think from there on, Novak stood in on the return and he could never really figure out that kick serve in the Madrid altitude, very bouncy courts, and Alcaraz's kick is is nasty. Yeah, that's a good assessment. I mean, I, again, he's Alcaraz so fast and using his speed for offense and versatility. The young Nadal was very fast in court coverage and hitting yet another ball cross court, and that was impressive. Don't get me wrong, the young Rafa, but this guy, this guy was using it to to take it to Novak and on the guys he beat in Madrid. Okay. I, I was, I was really impressed with the drop shots. Um, Alcaraz's drop shot efficiency. In other words, if he played the drop shot, did he go on to win the point? Not necessarily off that shot, but after a few more exchanges of balls and it was, had to be doggone near a hundred percent because he just got on a roll with that. And I'm curious, like we've all seen him use it and use it in pressure points. Like Jim Courier talks about, they unveiled some data where he really uses it in the pressure situations on break point. Um, but I'm really curious if that'll hold up in the grand slam in a best of five match you know, deep in a fourth or fifth set. Um, but that, that was a major factor to me, his use of the drop shot. Right. Out, out, out cat and mousing Djokovic on a lot of those exchanges. And, and Novak's mm -hmm. usually great in that. What, why wouldn't it work in, in best of five? Cause you get tired and, and there's more on the line. Um, and you know, you're, you're, you're running all over the court late in a match and things, your muscles start to break down, your legs start to go, your, your arms are heavier and you may not have that touch. Well, that's the exciting thing about a young player like Alcaraz is to see quite where he's at. And that's why there's so much, obviously excitement around him coming into Roland Garros and, and what's going to happen. It's going to be, it's going to be in some uh, early match or, um, later in the tournament goes on we'll see in the meantime though boy beating novak and rafa in the same tournament that's just amazing yeah uh, i think carlos is redefining i think how we need to think about drop shots amy because i i think it's almost like it's so practiced and routine and trained for him it, it's automatic like i i don't see it for most players you're right i see it as like an auxiliary shot that is a little bit maybe less dependable and more of a wild card or a change up for him. It's almost like it's a cross court forehand. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I guess the, the thing that we have to determine is this high, high level of efficiency 
is this it can't go anywhere but down or is this you know just part of his mo and it's going to be this way generally forever that's what we'll see because he really hasn't played that many best of five matches in his life is this is, is this a new normal and so that's what's exciting about a a precocious protege and i wrote this the other day um precocity is irrational inherently it's irrational it's like you're not you're not playing by the rules you're you're 19 and you're winning and he's and he's gone in four months from being the um the hunter to the hunted right so he's going to come in he's going to have a, a reasonable seating at roland garros and so it's going to be these expectations and a lot of attention and and uh you know massively packed press conferences and and so we'll kind of see and that's what's kind of exciting about it i mean again and some of it does remind me of the 05 nadal who came in having won all those play tiles but a very different style in the drop shot you look at the technique he uses to hit it i think it's so much better than both novak and nadal even now as a technique as a technique as an execution over long matches we'll see well um Alcaraz wins the match. So that's, you know, what, what's talked about. But as, as Amy pointed out earlier, Novak was just two points away. And, and he did play, I think he bothered Alcaraz more than Nadal was able to bother Alcaraz because when, when Nadal won the second set, it, it felt like Carlos was thinking a lot about his ankle, which he, he rolled uh, early in the second. And that kind of really took the, the air out of his sails for that second set. But uh, Djokovic just played a, a great first set. It was competitive once again in the second and the third. Uh, so once again, we see kind of Novak getting better and better and better week by week. Joel, what do you think of where he's at right now? And then I, I guess we can go to Madrid as well. He, he gets a very straightforward win over Aslan Karatsev today. I'm impressed by Novak by his progress. I mean, you've seen, we've tracked him through the Monte Carlo and, and in Serbia and onto, um, onto Madrid. And I think he showed, and he talked about, it, he said he felt pretty, uh, a good amount of energy in the wake of Alcaraz. He wasn't tired. I mean, you look how weary he was versus Rublev and he looked pretty, pretty fit. I'm impressed. And I, I'm, I hope, uh, I hope good things continue for him in Rome. It's been so incremental. I mean, it's been exactly the way that he might've drawn it up you know, like every time he plays, he just seems to get a little bit better. He looked so impressive against Karatsev today, who had beaten him before um, on clay last year. So, um, yeah, just ex extremely efficient, serving well today, um, hitting his spots and the forehand, you know, Novak's backhand gets so much attention, but his forehand looked like it had really good pop and was really landing in good locations for him. Yeah, the, there was kind of a, some, I don't know if, if majority, but I, I think there was some real kind of thought that after the Monte Carlo performance and the Belgrade performance that we were way too positive about Novak's prospects and that, that we were just, uh, I don't know, I guess, Amy, you were accused of sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> and unicorns. And unicorns. And, and <laughs> it, 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 it does seem like, like we were kind of striking the, the exact right amount of, I don't know, uh, level of concern, which was not a lot at all over that period of time, because we just continue to see over and over again, 
that he kind of builds up to Rome. And then, you know, usually by Rome, he makes a very, very deep run and is at his best. But until then, he's not really quite there yet. Well, you see the progress he made, like he's from, uh, from Belgrade to Madrid and the way he was playing. And I, I found some of the shots he was hitting uh, versus Alcaraz very impressive. You know, some real yeah. sharpness, some real precision and and that continues yeah, and he is very much kind of the uh, the incrementalist you, know, you could just imagine he was a he was a stockbroker the way he would carefully invest the money and keep generating dividends winner of laszlo jera and stan vavrinka next the the vavrinka head-to-head is like unbelievable it's uh it's quite the the phenomenon because in best of three it's been incredibly lopsided. In fact, um, let me pull this up here. Uh, Djokovic 16 to two, and he's on, it looks like over a 10 match win streak in best of three. Uh, in best of five, Djokovic has the edge only five to four, and Vavrinka has won three in a row, and two of them are major finals, and it's at in Australia one time and Roland Garros another time and US Open uh, twice. So it's like this crazy divide between what we've seen in that head-to-head best of three versus best of five. Is there an explanation for this? Do, do either of you want to take a crack at making some logic out of that? Well, the, the stand that he might play, and that's, that's a big might, um, is not the same person that that he's played in the past so i think we have to acknowledge that um and and i think novak would be the big favorite going in um in terms of the historical why don't you take that joel i think Rarinka, having seen all those matches especially the australia and that french final i think i think stan Rarinka hit this tremendous late stage rich period when he got to be about 28 and many aspects of Novak's game kind of like matched up well for him. And there was a certain, there were times we saw over the years when Novak would fall into a, the don't miss mode. And Rarinka know, knew, I think, I think this is something that comes from being an, a deep underdog rather than a minor underdog. Rarinka was a significant underdog against Novak in all those matches. So he says, I gotta swing. I gotta throw big. I gotta do something big. And he executed. And he'd fix his forehand. He had his serve. And he just was like, I mean, I'll never forget that Roland Garros final in 2015. I mean, Marika was just, he was just hitting that one-handed backhand like gangbusters up the line, down the line, cross court. And I think Novak wasn't quite like, what do I do here? And, and, and Novak's game was, was so long built around not missing. You know, it's kind of like, it's like Marika took some of the playbook we know that let's say Roger Federer sometimes needs to do but he took it to a whole other level of what his backhand was doing on those days. And they were very, very physical matches. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, a couple factors, one stand just elevates, as you said, Joel, in, in those moments, which is, it's super rare. I mean, most players, most players go down in those moments, not up. Well, um, uh, Magnus Norman, Magnus Norman, that, you know, Good to be great. Good dare to be the whole uh, good to great academy. And I think I think there was a whole a period, and players hit that sometimes, just like in the women's game in her way. Angelique Kerber had her had a rich period, or or in his short window, Del Potro did. And of course, then we see if these guys can 
can stay up there. And, and that's what makes the three so amazing that they've done it for uh, 15 years. Yeah. And, and there are some stylistic things as well, I think, with the rhythm and maybe how big and powerful he is. Djokovic's depth doesn't, doesn't do quite as much against Vavrinka. He can still attack the ball, even if Novak is keeping it deep in the court. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, we don't know what kind of shape Stan is in. Definitely not the shape that he was in in his, uh, in his late 20s, in, in the 2014, 15, 16 range. Uh, and then, yeah, Laszlo Gera, I mean, it could, could easily, easily win that match. I think it's probably close to, to even. So I don't know. Uh, Laszlo Gera, I mean, we saw that matchup in Belgrade, and it was, the, it was Novak's first, was it his first clay win of the season? I think it was. Uh, it was like in two, in a couple of, uh, it was tight. It was a really close match. So uh, a rematch of that. And I think Djokovic would, would enjoy that to really see his progress against a like opponent that he had earlier in the year. Amy, any thoughts on a potential Djokovic Jera? I think Jera might be demoralized by that last match because it was so close and, um, I would think that Novak's progress during this clay season has um, improved to a point that it wouldn't be much of a problem. Plus, I really like, I wrote this in my preview, I really like people who had a good run in Madrid in the higher altitude, but they didn't go all the way through, so they're not exhausted. They had those uh, extra couple of days and then they go down to Rome which is basically at sea level so it can be the equivalent of some light altitude training just like Olympians do you know they train in high altitude and then they come down to sea level and I don't know if you guys have ever done it but I've done it and you feel like you've got all this oxygen and all this energy once you come back to sea level so I kind of like that player with that profile that had that good run in Madrid, but then not so much that they're running from one tournament to the next. And uh, Djokovic fits that profile. So I think that's one reason why he looks so good against Karatsev. And I would anticipate he would look just as good in his next match. Yeah, agreed that, that there's definitely that balance between getting your matches in, in Madrid, not going too deep like Alexander Zverev, who might be at a disadvantage uh, in Rome. Um, we, will, we will have to see. Let's shift gears now to Rafael Nadal. Before we do so, I uh, just want to say, if you are, have been enjoying um, our show, we appreciate all you guys looking to get to 5,000 subscribers. So that's one way that you can really help us out. Fully advertiser supported, no Patreon, not asking for any money. The way to help us out is to subscribe, is to share the show. That way uh, you can help us get to 5,000. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Rafa Nadal loses a round earlier than Novak Djokovic in Madrid in the quarterfinal. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a, a strange, shifty match. I, I mentioned the ankle thing in the second set for Alcaraz. He, uh, he rebounded and won the third set. Um, it, it felt like Alcaraz was in control against Rafa for, for most of that match. Again, with the exception of when Alcaraz went away, uh, which was strange because Nadal, it, it wasn't like he couldn't keep the ball in the court. It's just, it felt like he couldn't fend off Alcaraz's offense. That's what I saw in that match, Joel. What, what did you think? Well, third match back for Rafa. So yeah. in a very uh, arduous three set in the prior round versus David Goffin. And I think Rafa, I'm, think, I'm feeling maybe, what, 75% of where he needs to be. And uh, this, this Rome week is more important for him than it is for Novak. I think Rafa needs some more win or lose, not winning the tournament, but just match play, yards, grinding through patterns, experience, you know, just doing his thing. And he looked, uh, yeah, he looks a little um, more defensive. And some of his balls lack some of the, the, the depth we're used to seeing and, and the and the accuracy. And again, I think, I think Alcaraz has been a lightning bolt, just throwing a lightning bolt into all these guys. Whoa, can't just hit that one. And, and that's good. And of course, Nadal will always be the first to say that's good for him. No matter who Nadal plays, it's good for him. And he's, and he's humbled. And he probably figures he's now the, uh, the third or fifth favorite to win at Roland Garros, Rafa. But uh, <laughs> it was a, um, it was a, it was a good match, but I just think it just seemed that, uh, you know, Alcaraz was all over it and Adal, like that third set, not a lot of bounce really once after he won the second set, it just kind of like, Oh, I, I we're even now. And Alcaraz picked it up. I think if you read the transcripts of the press conferences after the match, the good news is that the rib doesn't seem to be bothering him much. The bad news is that he apparently was limping and hobbling into the press conference and it was the foot was really bothering him again. So there's a point of diminishing returns. Yes, he needs the matches in Rome, but um, if he does go out early here, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him to, you know, probably get a little bit more rest and gear up for, for this run. Um, I know that in the uh, odds that Alcaraz is pretty much moved up to the second favorite to win. If he wins Rome, you know, is Rafa still the favorite to win? Um, it, it's knowing that Rafa is struggling with some in injuries and, you know, he's, he's one year older and he's not the defending champion. Um, I think this is going to be a very, very difficult um, Roland Garros for him. Is Didn't... he the first favorite? Is Nadal is favored Nadal. right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then and Alcaraz is two and Novak is three. 
Well, it's moving up and down, but that's correct, uh, though. Alcaraz has spent a lot of time as number two. Yeah. Okay. All right. What? Well, like I say about those things, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Amy, didn't didn't Nadal down. say though that that it was normal kind of for him? Like, I feel like he brushed off the whole limping thing. He's like, yeah, I limp all the time. What, what, uh, yeah, he question. did say something like, where have you been? Like, this has been me for the last 10 years. But I mean, I've been in press conferences with Nadal and I never actually have seen him limp into a press conference. I mean, that's pretty. And, and he did acknowledge that it was the foot again. So we know for a fact that the foot has kept him out of competition for blocks of time. And we know that he wants nothing more than to play the Roland Garros. So let's yeah. just all keep our fingers crossed. Usually it's less of a problem on the clay, which is another thing to, to, to hope for, for, mm -hmm. uh, for Rafa. So uh, Nadal will play uh, John Isner mm -hmm. in the next round. That's, a, that's an interesting matchup. Uh, Nadal has never lost to John um, seven and oh, but okay. they did have a very famous battle in 2011 at Roland Garros when Isner took Rafa to five sets in the, the heat of Nadal's another one of Nadal's, uh, dominant Roland Garros stretches. He ended up winning in 2011. And it's one of those interesting sliding doors moments, because you have to wonder if Isner pulls off that upset, takes out Rafa, does Roger Federer who beat Djokovic in the semis that year, end up with a second Roland Garros title, we'll never know. Nadal uh, beats Isner in five and beats Federer in that final. Federer may have lost in the second round after being uh, eager, like, like when he won in 2009. <laughs> uh, uh, what happened? Let's see, Soderling beats Nadal, and the next day Federer ekes out a win over Tommy Haas, clearly a little excited about the possibility of the draw opening up. So yes. if Isner wins that much in 2011, does Federer lose in the first round in 2011? Or they, <laughs> like, I love, we could just go, just, just go from here to infinity of, of all these kind of things. But the, uh, as a matchup goes, I think, I think if I'm in the Nadal camp, there's the party, yes, good, Isner, another match. But it's kind of like, it's not quite the clay match we need to get the miles in. You know, it's just going to be, it's going to be a strange match. I mean, there are going to be these flurries of, of, of shots and aces and serves. And I guess it, it's, it's not exactly what I think of as the, uh, the, the grinding test that he wants, but I know it's tennis and that's the way it goes and Rafa will approach it that way. But uh, that's, a, that's a strange match. Didn't, didn't Israel got him once in the Labor Cup, right? Oh yeah, I think you're right. That's right. Yes. Before Bad. it was official, yeah. Um, I, this slow clay, I'm not even sure why John Isner is playing this tournament unless he really, he really likes pasta or something like that. Are you kidding? Um, I think it's got a, I think Isner loves playing a face, makes it easier for him to return. Well, that's true. But what about his serve? I mean, it, it just, it takes the edge off his serve we were just and, and he's, that. he's a slower player. Yeah, he's but slower. We, we, whoa, whoa. I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, we were talking about Alcaraz's kick serve. You want, you want Isner's kick serve you on is there's serve out to the I mean I think well I think you know at Madrid and I think he did have a really good run at Madrid not this year but the year before um two-time quarter finalist in Madrid oh, okay and what about Rome Gil Rome 
uh, oh, we made the semis in Rome in 2017. Oh, okay. But but that's that's the only run he's had. No, I, I think is I think is his like I think he's fine with that. I think he's I think you know I, I wrote something a while ago. Um, it was about Opelka. I said maybe Servali comes back when Opelka wins the French Open with kick serves and angle volleys. I mean that triggers the Servali renaissance. So I think is there. I think it's just fine. Get some match play, play Nadal, crack a few forehands, hit some serves. But I'm not the- beat Nadal. <laughs> I, I, unless Rafa is seriously hampered. Um, I don't think that's a favorable matchup for him. No, of course not. Nothing's it's the fair, but I think it's like he enjoys. I mean, it's just been out there long enough. It's just been out there 15 years. He's, he's going to enjoy that match. He is, he is pairing with Diego Schwartzman in doubles, which I love. I absolutely think that is the coolest thing ever. And those two may actually get me to watch a doubles match. (laughs) So you're just treating Isner's Rome thing like a curiosity, like a little thing break, (laughs) like play some doubles with my friend Diego, have some food. I don't think so. I think, I think Isner thinks, Hey, look, let's, let's give this a go. I'm a pro tennis player. I'm going to, I'm going to, Throw all I can at Nadal. I played him enough times. I know what his deal is. And he's not, and Nadal is not that um, sharp. If, if I'm Isner and I see, well, David Goffin extended him, why not me? Uh, surface is surprisingly irrelevant for, for Isner's results. If you look at the, the numbers, the, the one thing I will say is he is not good on grass. It is a total common misconception that because of his serve, he loves Wimbledon. The reality is, his results at Wimbledon are not good at all. Other than that one year, he made the semifinal. And after that, everybody thinks Isner grass. It, that's just not, we have a large sample size over a decade long career. That is, that is his worst major. And it just happens to be his best run one year. Um, that's all I'll say about, about Isner. But I, I will say one tactical thing with Nadal, you know, the way Isner breaks serve is kind of to crush second serve returns on the forehand. And I think the lefty spin kind of kills him uh, in that regard. So I, I don't think it's a, a favorable matchup for, for Isner. And then obviously, you know, when it comes to, to John, it's like the elite returners are, are going to kind of be a problem for him. And, and Nadal is, yeah. is that. Yeah. Well, no, that's right. But there'll be, but there'll be it, it won't be two and two. I mean, again, if you're, uh, yeah. if you're, yeah, right. Israel will be, will be jammed on the forehands. He'll be kind of stretched out a little on the, well, how much will be moved a little on the backhand. The, the, but again, we're, we're still seeing. Rafa will like, stand the, way back. <laughs> oh, the Foro Italico, you can stand way, way, way back. I mean, that's the original way back court uh, is, is Foro Italico. And, but I also think if you're Israel, you think, you know, I'm going mean, to, he's going to hold serve. A bunch he's going to see you know getting some rallies and again we're all we're only seeing um i think 75 percent of how good nadal is i mean nadal was not exceptionally impressive he, he was impressive no. in fan for fighting as usual is his competitive spark but that's a match you think normally nadal when that's a match that normally nadal wins on clay and a tidy three and three right yeah it'll be interesting to see what he looks like because not only is it no longer his first tournament back after injury but he's, he's away from Madrid, which as we discussed, the altitude just seems to mess with him. And he's not usually not uh, the same player that he is in, in Rome. So let's end on this. Uh, Djokovic and Nadal are in the same half. Um, 
so some quick some quick history. We'll see if they met meet in the semifinals. Maybe maybe not. Uh, the, Rome is the second. Well, actually tied for the first most frequent meeting ground of Nadal and Djokovic. It's Rome and Roland Garros. At each, they've met nine times. And in the case of Rome, Nadal has the edge six three. Um, but a lot of really, really memorable meetings in Rome, including, of course, last year, 2021, that was a good three-set match. Uh, the year before, 2019, that was a three-set match that was lopsided in the third, 6-1 for Nadal. Um, I don't know, these, these Rome meetings, how important are they? And do you think, like, what do they represent? Because for me, I've always felt like it's kind of a, a bit of a tactical training ground before Roland Garros and they're kind of uh the matches have a feel where usually usually they can be a little bit strange because there's some experimentation I've felt I mean if I'm both players I just my goal is to stretch and they do end up meeting my goal is to stretch the other one you know Novak isn't a huge fan of these courts. Um, there's been some controversy about the Rome courts that maybe the Italians haven't put enough money into maintaining them to the level that they need to be maintained. He's been slipping a lot. Um, he slipped today against Karatsev. And that's been a theme the last few years. So if I'm Rafa, I just want to be like a nuisance to him. And the same goes for Novak too. Rafa. Uh, if he's not feeling great, let's rough him up before he gets to roll on Garros. So my mentality for both guys would be extend, 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 extend. Oh, that's interesting. I think uh, I like the, uh, I like the test ground area. And then the other thing part is though, what's the game that's going to help me as a player win Roland Garros? Cause we got two guys who've, who've each won it multiple times now. Um, what's also interesting when I remember when Novak won Rome in 2011 when he really started his great ascent and it was part of his culmination beating Rafa on some of the clay events but they each played a good amount of tennis that year how look how little tennis each of them when Rafa had the first the great start the the 20 matches and then he took the time off but look how little tennis Novak has played this year I mean he's rapidly gaining and accruing interest so it's best this way that it's kind of interesting it's like going on this trip and seeing oh wow look how much gas i still have in my tank i haven't used that much so they're each kind of it, it, it must just feel strange from them wow i don't feel as tired as i think i am in rome but i'm under tennis so it's just again it's kind of um just as a, a mild digression i wrote about 90th rank andrisco beating the u.s open champ radicanyu normally that's considered a big news but 90 doesn't mean anything now in rankings based on what the last few years have been so again novak rafa I don't know. I don't know. They're, they're 2022 is such a different year. Yeah. And I mean, perhaps based on the, the recent history, the fact that each of them could, could really use a big result in Rome, maybe there's more importance this time than there is usually uh, on, on a potential Rome meeting. So again, a uh, long way from that. We'll see if we get it in the semifinals. And that'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Spotify and Apple. And if you are watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of Three.